Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Dana? Hey. I'm Dana. I'm your alcoholic comedian for the evening. This one's called Gay Crashers. One day, a good man died and went to heaven. He was met at the pearly gates by St. Peter, who escorted him around to the various rooms to see which one he would choose for his eternal dwelling. The first one contained robed saints sitting in a circle, repeating chants. Too spooky, said the man. The next room held saints shouting hallelujah and rolling around on the floor, while a man screamed from a podium. Too wild, he said. The third one contained prayerful, solemn saints in formal attire counting beads. Too boring, said the good man. The final room contained a group of laughing people in worldly attire using off-color language, smoking cigarettes, and drinking coffee. Who are these people, asked the man. We're not sure, replied St. Peter. They declare they are not saints, but we let them stay anyways because they've promised they'll only stay a day at a time. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Robert. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take the a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might slash will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused 
on the steps, step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree, upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Noah to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it is kind of important to know what one is. Noah? Good evening, family. My name is Noah, and I'm an alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experience must be in the nature of sudden or spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this collusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. 
Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what psychologist William James, call, William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. That such a change could hardly have, have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have, have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unexpected inner resource which they, are, which they pre presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our, mo our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of, honest, of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance and belligerent denial. We find that no, we find that no one need have difficulty with this, the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and an open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are the indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt, to prior, is contempt prior to investigation. Thank you. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting. So set your phones to airplane mode or just plain turn them off. Um, I have the honor of introducing Monica tonight. She's our speaker. Um, and I'm very interested to see what God's going to say through her. Here we go. Wow. <laughs> what a great meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Monica. I'm sober by the grace of God, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sobriety date is June 25th of 2012, so by the grace of God, next month, there go I, I'll be picking up 11 years. Now, I say that to say this, I have today. I say that every single morning, because every day I wake up is another day, you know, um, I was speaking to Bobby, I'm like, Bobby, come on, you know, it's 7.15, the heat are playing, you know, I got two kids at home, I'm going on vacation, but the reality is, is this is where I need to be, because without this, I have nothing, without God, I have nothing, without 12 steps, I have nothing, without giving back, I have nothing, you might as, hand, might as well hand that back to them, you might as well say, here, you know, God has blessed me. You know, they tell me in early in sobriety, you know, I, uh, this month, you know, it's a huge, I was married eight years yesterday, I had a beautiful baby four months ago, I have another five-year-old son, and I just wake up every single day and I'm like, how did I get here? You know, how did this happen from where I came from? So they always tell me what it was like, what happened, and what is it, you know, like today. You know, I'm going to share this, sobriety is a roller coaster ride. 
I've made every single mistake in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've done every possible thing you can imagine, and that's only because God is crazy about me. Anytime I think I have control of anything, he slowly removes it out of my life, whether that be my wife, whether that be my job, whether that be my friends. It, uh, he removes it from me to make sure that he is number one. You know, that's how crazy he is about me. And through that pain and through of all of that, I have to realize that there's a difference between having faith and trust. You know, um, so what it was like, I was born and raised here in Broward County, Florida. I'm sure most of you, probably not. You know, I am a Floridian, born and raised. You know, they say you can get sober wherever, when you're ready. You know, um, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic family, you know. Um, I grew up in the, the chaos. I grew up in the everything you can imagine. My dad was a raging alcoholic, a man I never wanted to be, you know, or a woman, whatever, you want, whatever, you know. Um, and that's exactly who I turned into. You know, I was uh, a scared little kid. I couldn't read or write till I was 10 years old. I thought I had a learning disability, but reality is, is I was full of anxiety from the time I was born, you know, and that's the truth. You know, when I get to step two to kind of go over that, that's what's going on in my head. You know, um, I also lived that double life. You know, I, uh, I got addicted to sports. I played softball all my life. You know, I um, was so afraid to have kids and all the softball, you know, all the kids coming to my house because I never knew what I was going to come home to. I never knew. You know, I was that scared little kid. And the, and the messed up part is I never wanted to be alone. I always had to be a part of a crowd because I couldn't sit with myself. You know, I was the kid that just wanted attention. It didn't matter if it was positive attention, if it was negative attention. I would create chaos in my life. I would do whatever I had to do to look at me, look at me as I talk about ego and pride today. You know, I was that kid that caused, I was that class clown. I was that kid in internal suspension. However, I played sports, so playing sports and being on all these different teams, I always got out of trouble. I always talked my way and manipulated my way out. You know, um, so I played softball from the time I was four years old up until 17, and you'll hear that I gave away full ride scholarships at D1 school because it got in the way. You know, um, the first time I encountered you know, uh, with any kind of mind-altering substance, I would drink. Alcohol was always in my house. I thought I wanted to sneak. I thought I wanted to smoke cigarettes. That was a big part, you know. Let me, let me try to sneak around and what I can get away with. I was a scared little kid, you know. I, I, I was fearful, you know, and it, and it slowly progressed how it went on. School didn't come important. Softball wasn't important. Nothing was important to my life. You know, let me push everything out of my life. Why? Because I didn't want you to know who I was. And that's the truth. You know, so to kind of go off from there in high school, I, uh, again, I, get all, I gave full ride scholarships away to D1 schools. You know, I had full rides to all these different schools. I'm watching all my friends go to college, get degrees, and I was collecting felonies. You know, as we were going on, I had 14 counts of breaking and entering credit card fraud at the age of 14 years old. And I don't share that because that's a badge of honor. I share that because that just tells you of where I was at, you know. And it wasn't that I wanted to do it. I just wanted to be light. I just wanted you to look at me. I just wanted you to give me a pat on the back. Because if I did that, I was this, you know, kid that, 
listen, ha, ha, ha. So I would go do whatever I had to do. You know, I um, got out of trouble. Why? Because by marriage, my, not my bloodline. I have 27 cousins. Probably 22 of them are alcoholics and drug addicts. My dad is one of eight. Seven of them are drug addicts and alcoholics. You know, my dad was a raging alcoholic. My grandfather, three out of my four grandparents, died of a direct role of alcoholism called cirrhosis of the liver. Um, so it was just in my bloodline, you know, and... Um, I believe I was born from the very time, Bobby shares this all the time, that when the sperm met the egg, I truly believe that that's when it started, you know, and um, it just continued to go on. I don't like to share about a lot of war stories. The reality is, is we know how to, what happens. Being a woman on the streets is not a fun thing. I can, I can tell you I've done every single thing you can imagine as a woman. Yes, look at me, and you're going to hear how my last 24 hours went. You know, it was rough. It was rough. You know, everything got in front, you know. And um, through that journey, you know, I can remember, you know, people getting sober. Like, I didn't know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. But I started to see some of the kids. God bless her soul, Brandy. She died of a direct result. And um, she was the girl that would drop off the other fellowship, which did not work out for me. It did not. It was just... For me, it didn't. Alcoholics Anonymous always worked out for me. And uh, I can remember early on, I was probably 21 years old, a hot mess. I came in a room. I was in pain. I thought I could do this on my own. I walked in. I was like, this is horrible. Get me out of here. You know, just get me out of here. And I wasn't willing. I was not willing at that time, and I left. But I always state this, look to your left, look to your right. You never know who's going to come a part of your life that just may change your life. And I say that to say this. That was a seed that was planted to watch individuals get sober. You know, it's, it's and look where she's at now. You know, um, so to kind of go on from that, you know, I was, I was the girl that was in and out of halfway houses. You know, I was the girl that got kicked out of halfway houses. I was the predator. I was the, the girl that, you know, abused women, not physically, but emotionally, because I wanted to feel about myself. You know, I couldn't go to any, any halfway house. They wanted to stick me in a man's halfway house because I thought I was it. You know, I thought I was it. And uh, what happened was, is through that journey, I never listened. You know, I would pretend like I would get a sponsor who would co-sign me. I'd find the sickest person in the room to date. You know, and I would take them hostage with me, which is a funny story because my running buddy, my biggest running buddy, you know, I'm married to today. And that's not because I don't suggest it. It hasn't been easy. Um, however, you know, God had a plan for us where that 1%, he just felt the need that that to happen. So through that journey, you know, I, um, I thought I was going to get away with it. You know, you're not, you know, you don't mean anything. You don't know what you're talking about. I have Jordans on my feet. I work in a phone room. I'm going to make all this money. I don't need halfway no more. And I kid you not, my runs got slower. You know, they got shorter and shorter, but they got worse and worse. And it wasn't because of anything else. It got worse and worse because of the emotional Disaster that was happening in my life. I hated myself more than more and more and more and more. And I pointed the finger at you, and three were pointing back at me. And um, through that process, when, you know, um, I'll, I'll never forget as long as I live going through, there's a lady by the name of Maureen, 
You know, she was the individual who always, we were low, I was a low bottom drunk, okay? I was that person in the big book. Not to matter, you may have not gone. My story may be different than you. We all have the allergy in our body. We start, we can't stop starting. Our mind tells us the mental obsession, all of that. But I was the low bottom. I was the one who got scooped off. You know, I, I can remember her seeing me walk down the street, bruised, you know, bruised. I always came out with double black eyes. I mean, I wonder why with my mouth. I don't know, you know. Um, and I can remember going in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. You know, I didn't come back into Alcoholics Anonymous this time and saying, I'm ready. I am never going to do this again. And every time I came back, I really meant that. Like, I truly meant, Mom, I'm never going to do it again. You're not going to have to see me in a jail cell. You're not going to have to not hear from me for six months. The sleepless nights that I put you through, the robbing you, the abusing you, you know, emotionally and doing all these things. I really meant that from the bottom of my heart every time I came in. But I had no mental defense against the first one. I didn't understand. I thought if my head told me to do it, I had to do it. Like, I just had to. And I would, you know, call and, and you know what, I'm just going to go do it because my mind told me that I had to do it. Like, this is it. Like, and I'm, this, it's just what it is. So, you know, um, I can tell you my, my last two weeks out there, and then we'll get into the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous and my journey of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and me being dry in Alcoholics Anonymous and that feeling of being in Alcoholics Anonymous and through my journey of the last 11 years. I can remember being out there and, and I, you know, thought it was a brilliant idea that it's, you know, I know it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's something called Kava. And I thought it would be a brilliant idea because it didn't show up and I thought I could get away with it. And Bobby looked at me and said, come on, Monica, like, I know you, like, you're out of your mind and this is just what's happening. You know, I keep it to Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't matter what you put in your body. The reality is, is... I respect Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I can remember going out, you know, and I can remember running the streets, and I can remember going to something called a psychosis, and I had no idea what I was doing, where I was going. All I knew was I wanted to die, and I was going to take whatever and do whatever that was going to take to do it, because I was tired of feeling the way I felt, and at that point, I didn't even want to drink anymore. I didn't even want to do it. I did it just because I, I thought that I had to do it. It wasn't numbing my pain anymore. It just wasn't working. And I didn't understand, like, what, are we, what, what is going on? I didn't know how to get, I thought, you know, I didn't know how to get sober. Reality is, is I didn't know nothing. That is the truth. When I came in, I knew nothing. You know, I thought I knew everything, but I did not. You know, and um, all my last 24 hours, I was on a high-speed chase with my wife because I thought she stole my last $40. And I can remember through the psychosis, I was driving on a suspended license with a DUI, um, and I got pulled over. And I don't know why God didn't take me to jail that day. I have no idea. I don't have to know. And I, you know, that's just not my journey. And made up this brilliant idea that my mom was on life support in Hollywood, and I am somewhere, I don't even know where I was, it was nowhere close, and he let me go, not very safe, but he did, and I was on my way to go pick up other forms of substances, and I ended up seizing in the 101 parking lot 
I have no idea why God brought me there. At the, at the 101, at the breakfast meeting, that happened to be my home group with 150 people in high heels and a miniskirt, no lie, with eyelashes on, seizing. Now, if you look at me, you want to talk about humility? God had a funny way of working that day. And um, I had people in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous by the name of David Dugan, who happens to be, he passed away. And those are the people that picked me up. Those are the people that picked me up off the ground. Those are the people. Deb, who also passed away. And it's a funny journey of how, how Alcoholics Anonymous works. And I have goosebumps on me because those were the people that were there for me. God saved me. He saved me that day. You know, apparently I was um, texting one of my old sponsors. I don't even know on a throwaway phone. Don't ask me how that happened. Then I'm going to take myself out. I'm going to go sit in front on, on Atlantic Boulevard in front of the train tracks because I can't do this. Counting how many seconds, it was four seconds between each train track and how I was going to take myself out. But you see, I'm too selfish to do that. You know, so it's a, it's a double-edged sword in regards to that. And um, they use that to Baker Act me. And the next thing you know, I was in that psychosis, and, you know, I was in and out, you know, and all I wanted to do was to smoke a cigarette, and I had no idea that I was Baker Acted, but all I wanted to do was smoke a cigarette. That's it. Like, give me a cigarette. I am coming. I am out of my mind, and if you don't give me a cigarette, I'm going to break my way out of here. Well, you're not at Imperial Point Psych Ward. They're just not going to let you out. So, you know, I see the doctor today when I go to Imperial Point, and he remembers me. You know, it's an interesting situation, but he's like, wow, like, this is crazy, you know? And, um, you know, Bobby's a big part of my story. You know, Bobby uh, took me in when I got out, and she let me lay in her son's bed. And every time I woke up, she gave me Tylenol PM to go back to sleep because I was, <laughs> she just wanted me to sleep. That's it, because, you know, anytime I would think my wife was out on the streets, I'm going to go save her. I can't even save myself. What am I going to do, right? So she did that. I said she threw my phone on my throwaway phone on 95, and uh, I was never going to have that phone again. And I can remember, you know, at, at Bark Detox, you know, mind you, that's how I got a, I used to have like a really shaved head. They shaved my head and told me that I was never going to do that. We were out of our mind, the crew that we hung out with in early sobriety, but it is what it is. That's how I got a shave that I just didn't go to the barbershop. Like, I just didn't want hair anymore. You know what? I stayed sober ever since. So I'm, you know, I have kind of hair and make sure that I'm a little bald. <laughs> so um, through that journey, she did that. And she brought me to Bark Detox, and I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I have a bald head with a Bic razor. I mean bald, like bald, bald. And I can remember going there, and of course they had no beds. Like, of course. And I called Bobby from Bark. Remember, I don't have a phone. I do not have a phone. And I called her, and I said, listen, they have no beds. She said, okay. I said, can you come pick me up? She said, no. I said, what? You're going to leave me on Broward Boulevard? Like, what? That was when it was on Broward Boulevard. You're going to leave me on Broward Boulevard. She said, yeah. If you're willing to stay sober, you're going to figure it out. So I remember that, you know, Bark Detox gave me bus money, and I took it back. I said, all right, I'm going to go to your house. She said, no, you're not. You're going to sit at the PBG. 
And every single morning that you stay in my house until you go to IRT, you're going to sit at the morning meetings every single day. They had a 6 o'clock meeting, and I was not allowed to leave there. There's a surf shop that it used to be there, and I would sit at Starbucks all day long. Now, I didn't know if I wanted to stay sober. I had no idea if I wanted to stay sober, if I wanted to go out. I just didn't know at that moment. I just knew that I looked down on my feet right then and there, and that I'm in this moment, and right now, I'm just going to continue to ask God not to take me out. You know, please. And I would sit in the morning, I'd sit in those meetings all day long. And then she would pick me up. She would feed me. I wasn't allowed of money. She would buy me lunch. She at least fed me. Um, but she literally would not let me back in her home. She said, okay, you can come home. And I had a terrible cough. And I state that to state this. If you have a cough, you can't go into Bark IRT. And it sounded like it was a, a train going down. And um, I got into IRT. And I went in there, and there was a, a counselor by the name of Angela. And I absolutely hated this lady. I hated my therapist. And you know why I hated my therapist? Because she knew exactly who I was. I hated her. And they always told me, if you hate your therapist, <laughs> that means she's doing the right thing. You know, and um, I went there and I happened to run into an individual that I knew who just disappeared when I was out there and she was getting sober. And I was like, wow, like God, she's placing me in here. And I state that to state this. I was in there. Um, of course, I was in my own room because I was always on keep separates everywhere I went because I was a nightmare. You know, remember I was a predator and I share that openly and willingly because maybe some of the men can understand, maybe some of the women can understand that that's who I was. And I touched a pregnant girl's belly. And the only reason why I share that is to share this. This was one of the moments where I said, why are you putting me on contract and to stand up here and that I will lose boundaries like I will respect people's boundaries and I will not break the rules and I was so embarrassed with a piece of paper having to read it every single day and I walked up and I walked in Miss Angela's room and I said why because I'm gay is that why you're doing it she said no that's your problem you point your fingers at everybody else instead of taking a look at yourself I don't care who's breaking the rules around you. You have to take responsibility for your actions. And every time you break a rule, there's a consequence, whether that's good, whether that's bad. And you have to accept that every single decision that you make in your life, there's a consequence to it. And I didn't understand it. But you know what? That little seed that was planted in my head took me a long way. Not long, because I forget how painful. So I go to IRT, I get out. You know, what did I do? There was a hurricane going on during that time. I was in Dawn's halfway. Maureen said, no more. I'll put you on my other one. Put me there. And there was a hurricane. We had no running water. The electric was going out. Everybody else could leave but me. They said, no, we'll check on you. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. The men's halfway house is across the street. A guy can come stay there with you, whatever. And I'm like, I'm not staying here. Like, who do you think you are? That very moment, I forgot. I'm so worried about everybody else. I let you back in my halfway house when I didn't even want to let you back in my halfway house, but I did because I'm willing to give you a chance. Right? That's what happened. So what did I do? I took an individual hostage. It's the first thing I did. And I moved in with an individual 
and I took her hostage and I emotionally abused her. I emotionally abused her because I had nothing and I thought it would be a brilliant idea to emotionally abuse her. And um, during this journey, and I share these things to share this, and you're gonna hear a lot of my story of that person that I was. I hurt everybody around me, everybody around me. And that's what kept me sick for so long. I could not see it. I could not see it. And um, of course, I wanted to save Nicole, you know. I'm going to go out and try to save her. And during that journey, I was abusing both of them emotionally. And Nicole ended up on life support for 12 days. And it makes me cry because at that very moment, at that very moment, I had about six months sober. And I had a sponsor. The only thing I did right in the beginning is I went to meetings, I hit my knees every single day, and I asked God to keep me clean and sober. That was it. Everything else, I was doing my steps. Was I comprehending them? Probably not. But I knew that I had to hit my knees every single day and say, God, please, please keep me clean and sober. Please help me see who I am every single day. I was not somebody that came in Alcoholics Anonymous and was the perfect person in Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, I broke every single rule in the first year of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I saw tubes down her throat, I immediately knew at that point that I had to make a change. Because the person I love more than anything in my life, I blame myself for so long for doing that. I blame myself for doing that, even though she chose to do what she had to do. And at that very point, I moved out of the individual's house I was living in I was broken, I was hurt, I was angry, I was, felt guilt, shame that they talk about in step two. My life was completely unmanageable. They talk about we're powerless over alcohol and their lives unmanageable. Well, during that steps, I knew I was powerless over alcohol. We were already aware of that, you know? But I didn't understand that part that said unmanageability. I thought, like, listen, I go to jail. You know, I'm doing this. I can't keep a healthy relationship. What I didn't understand is that's that irritable, restless, discontent feeling that I couldn't sit in myself. I could not sit in my own skin. Internally, my life was turmoil. And when I accepted that, and when I finally accepted that, I hit my knees, and I begged first step sober house and second chance to let me back in, please, for the last time. And there was an individual that did Wednesday meetings. And I sat in the very front row, and I listened to this individual. He was a great guy in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I listened to every single thing he would say. And I was that person. I was in the front row every single meeting. I didn't care about the girls that were going on around me. And during this time, you know, it's amazing. Nicole saw me get sober. She saw me get sober. So she got sober nine months after me. And she stayed sober. And it's just a journey that of you doing your work, just maybe somebody's going to watch you. And just maybe they're going to get sober. And I knew during that journey, and I stayed in the halfway house, and I did what I had to do, and I finished my steps, and I wanted to keep doing work. So I found people in Alcoholics Anonymous that were doing the right thing that would not co-sign my stuff. I had to go to somebody that told me about myself all the time. And I stayed in halfway house for the first time in my life for one year. I gave myself one year. I'm going to stay in halfway. I am. And this is what I'm going to do. And I did that. And I moved out. And I went and got an apartment. And I was heavy. I was a GSR rep. I was an inter 
GSR, I love GSR. I'm just, they argue all the time. So it just didn't work out for me. Intergroup, I like taking a meeting into the jail. I did that for about four years. How? I don't know. God just had other plans. So they talk about step two, and I kind of go all over the place. If you haven't figured it out, you know, just stories that happen, how it affects me in the steps, right? So that mental obsession. My mind is a rat race. I'm always thinking about the next thing that I'm doing before that, right? I had no mental defense. So how am I gonna how am I gonna allow that to happen? Like I don't understand. Like I don't get how I'm gonna make my mind stop running. You know? So we get to step three, right? And during this time I, I can remember sitting on the beach and you know, I hated God. I hated God. I didn't know if I believed in God. I didn't know what. You know, when a lady, God rest her soul, um, told me one time, well, how are you going to hate a God that you don't believe in? I don't understand. Like, how? I said, listen, I grew up in Catholic church. I was at CCD every single Wednesday. I was at Catholic school, and look who I am. I broke every commandment possible, and I'm going to H-E-L-L. Reality is, is that God loves me for who I am. Like, that's the reality of it. I'm his, I'm his child. I am. And you know what? He loves me. And he's going to use me someday to help somebody else. And maybe that's just the journey it went on. Why am I dealt these cards? I'm dealt these cards because I chose not to get hurt. I am who I am. And I'm an alcoholic. That's the reality of it. And when I wanted to get help, I got help. So I trusted this God. And she told me, you can borrow mine, but you got to give them back. I said, all right, cool. We can do that. We can do that. I'll borrow your God and let's see what happens. Right? Again, I prayed to this God that I didn't believe in in the very beginning, in the first six months, and I was staying sober. So, like, maybe there is hope. Maybe, you know, there's hope. Like, I had hope. If you can stay sober, I can stay sober. This is great. How did I stay sober during her being on life support? How? God. So I finally was like, all right, maybe we can be friends. I'm not going to call you God, but I'm going to call you my ride or die. We can do that. I'll do that. We'll, we'll bargain, right? I'm still bargaining with him. So I remember sitting on the beach, and I'm, I'm just asking, I'm saying, whatever you are, God, whatever the case may be, whoever you are, show me a sign. And I kid you not, it just rained, and we were, like, sitting at the picnic bench in Pompano, you know, because that was, that was my neighborhood for a very long time. And um, a rainbow came out. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm gay. There's a rainbow. Like, this could be good. All right. Like, I can see that sign. You know what I mean? All right, God. Like, maybe you don't judge me. Maybe I'm not going there. And you give me a rainbow, you know? So that was great. And then I got to step four, right? I was so afraid of step four. I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, step four is, is just for me to find out who I am. And that was the reality of it. And it was broken down to me like this. If I walk into Publix and there's curdled milk, what's going to happen? It's going to shut down. That's how it was broken down. You had to dummy it for me. Like, you literally had to just dummy it down and explain to me and make me understand. I was so afraid that you were going to judge me or you were going to do this or you were going to go do that. But reality is, is I was out in the world and most people knew, you know. And I had dark deep deeper secrets and you know I, I had trust issues why because I couldn't trust myself that was the reality of it so I'd put pen to paper and I'd get like one resentment oh no resentment I flew by 
my harms. I was like, listen, I did this because they hurt me. I cheated. I did this. I stole. I did all these things, right? Because they did that to me. So let me show you. I'm going to show you. You get me, I'm going to get you. It's called revenge. That was one of my biggest character defects. I'm going to show you. So then what am I going to do? I'm going to hurt me to hurt you. And that's what I did. So I'd put pen to paper. And one day I was just sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get it all out. I'm going to get it all out. And I state that to state this. I held on to a resentment. I wanted to admit that I let go of it. And I did. I struggled with it. I don't, you know, there was something that happened in Alcoholics Anonymous and I hated this girl. I literally despised her. I wanted to do everything to her, but I didn't. And I held on to that resentment. You know, and I got to step five, and here come my character defects. And things show up all the time. Let me tell you. You know, and uh, they still show up. I didn't even know I had all of them. And they just still show up. And um, I held on to this resentment. And about three years in sobriety, I felt myself in the exact same situation that I was in. I felt like the same day that I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. I felt that pain. I felt... All of those things and those feelings that I was pushing every single person out of my life. My wife walked out of me. My wife walked out of me after we were married for three months. And she left. And she said, I'm not doing this. I'm not. Your ego, your pride, all these things are coming back. And the reality was is that I held on to a resentment. I continue to feel these feelings over and over and over and over and over again. And I was so in fear that that situation was going to happen again that I pushed my wife out of my life. Every person, nobody wanted to be around me except very sick individuals. You know, there's people in Alcoholics Anonymous that was freshly sober and I should not have had them at my house. However, I can remember sitting on my knees feeling like I wanted to die. With three years sober. So I would suggest, if you're an Alcoholics Anonymous, that you continue to do the work. Because that is a worse feeling than ever. And I can tell you my truth. So what did I do? God said, you know what happened? I pushed God out. I had the house. I had the dogs. I had all these things. I had the great job. Every single thing that I did to wand my way out the door, I did it with three years sober. Because everything came more important. Everything was more important than my sobriety. Everything was more important than God. The writing letters to him in the morning, the, all right, I'm in a hurry. Let me wake up late. I'm going to hit my knees. Yeah, keep me sober. But really, was I having a conversation with him? No. No. I wanted to pray to him, but I didn't want to meditate to listen to him. And that was the problem. That was the problem. You know, and um, through that, I came two feet. What did I do? I jumped into service, head first. And I realized through that journey that my character defects were showing and flaring continuously. And resentment is our number one offender, right? I share that. Sounds cheesy, but it is the truth. That is 100% the truth. And somebody told me if I want to be forgiven, I have to forgive others. And reality is, is a resentment is what's keeping me sick. It's keeping me in turmoil. Because you know what? That individual is probably not thinking about anything. Meanwhile, in here, I'm creating all this nonsense in my head, and I'm delusional, right? And temp to and prior to investigation, like, yeah, they're really doing that, you know? And um, I went to step seven, right? 
<clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> so I went to step seven through this journey. So you're going to hear me like in the beginning of when I went through the steps and then kind of through my sobriety of went through the steps. I'm, I, I do that because I, I incorporate them in my life, right? And I stopped doing step 10 too, right? Like that's not that big of a deal. Like I ain't got to do that. Like I'm good. And um, step seven, you know, my sponsor tells me, I give, I give my character defects, all of my character defects to him, all of them. Now, that doesn't mean character defects aren't going to show up, you know? Never pray for God to remove patience, because I'm going to tell you right now, I kid you not, patience, patience, patience. And every time if I am struggling with a character defect, he continues to show me it. And he's like, all right, let's see how you react to this situation. And I couldn't beat myself up that I was making mistakes because I had to remain teachable and understand that when I think I got this thing, I'm going to be in the exact same situation I was when I walked in Alcoholics Anonymous. So step eight, I made that list, you know, and there was amends coming up. There was some amends that I could do. Like, I'm not going to go, you know, to the court system and say, hey, like, you never caught me for that. Like, we're just not going to do that, Right. So that's why I brought a meeting into alcohol. That's why I brought a meeting into Paul Ryan detention facility to get back and get a message of hope. That's why I did that. There's things that I do, you know, to try to get back in regards to that. My number one thing that I lack, and when I lack it, you know what happens? I feel those feelings over and over. I am a working progress. 100% sitting here with 11 years sober, I am a stubborn individual. And you can learn from me that you don't have to go through the same things that I go through and, and, and doing that. And that's my truth. And once I figured out my truth, so I continued to do the work, you know? Again, anything I put before God, God removes. Everything. Every single thing. So I remember praying for God to remove patience. You know what? I was doing a step series. I was at the one-on-one club. My wife was pregnant. And she ended up with preeclampsia in, in um, Broward General. And she was in the hospital with my firstborn child for a month. A month. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. How am I going to do this? How am I going to take care of the house? My my my. My son is still in my, daughter, my, my wife's belly. I don't know what's going to happen. He has IGAR. He might have lung issues. We don't know what's going on, when he's coming out. It's a risk to my, my wife. And the first time, you know, another time that came, not the first time in my life, but another time the patience was like, you have to have patience and trust. Grab that wheelbarrow. And you have to trust that. You have to trust that. And I state that to state this. You can pray to God, right? You can have that faith fighting answers in your heart, but you truly have to trust and give it to him. And it is real hard to say, all right, you really got this. But do you? Do you really got it? Did you really give it to him? It's real hard to say because it's, you got to give it up. You got to do it, you know? And um, that was when my first son was born. You know, God found it a fit that we had our first kid who was very sick in ICU for three weeks. You know, he was very, very sick. And I don't know if Bobby, the other day, my daughter at four months was just in ICU twice in three weeks. You know, and uh, you know who shows up? The Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know who was there? Every single night when my wife was in the hospital, 
Alcoholics Anonymous. Bringing a meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous because she was on bed rest and could only go out of her bed for 10 minutes a day downstairs. So they brought a meeting in. That's how this stuff works. If anything happens in your life, you're never alone. You're never alone. Alcoholics Anonymous shows up. That's our 12 steps, right? We can give back wherever, whether it's in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it's out, whether it's holding, for, holding a door for an individual that's in a wheelchair. We're giving back. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we carry the message. For me, maybe not for you, I try to carry the message in every aspect of my life. Well, here comes Monica again, you know, through that journey. It's not easy. Having two alcoholics living in one house trying to raise a kid. Like, it was not easy in the beginning. You're trying to find time for you to go to meetings. You're trying to find time for you to go to meetings. You got this, you got that. And that's what happens. You got to find a balance in your life. For me, balance is a very, you know, thing that I struggle with. So during this, you know what I said? You know what? I'm not going to the one-on-one club no more. Here I come again. I'm not going to the one-on-one club. I'm just not doing it. Why am I not doing it? I just, people are full of it. I'm judging AA. Here I am, right? I'm working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous backwards. Close. Going backwards. Going backwards. Going backwards. Going backwards. Going backwards. Until something happened in my life, right? I found myself almost alone again. Here I am. I'm finding myself, she's cute. She's cute. It's terrible. But that's where my head goes, man. That's what my disease does. My disease attacks me in every which way possible. So something happened in my life. During that moment, it was terrible. And I found the need to, here I come again. And this is just my journey. You don't have to go through it. It is what it is. Everybody has a seat and to share their purpose in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's me. I'm the one. You want to learn from me? That's what it is. But you know what? I'm not perfect. And that's the way God gets through me. And I'm here. I'm here. I'm sharing the message. So I had another baby girl. It's great. I love it. My family back in my life. My brother wouldn't speak to me for years. He, didn't, he spoke to me, but he didn't trust a word I said. He thought I was full of it. It took him five years to trust anything. And when he looked at me and he said, you know what? I'm proud of you. I love you. You know what happened about two years ago? He called me and my wife up and he said, you know what? You're going to be on the will of my children. Ever, if I, we ever pass away, you're going to take custody of my children. You're going to take custody of my children. My mom tells me you're going to have the power of attorney. My sister-in-law says, you know, if something ever happens to my daughter, I want you to have custody. I'm like, oh, my God, please don't. (laughs) But those are the things that happen in Alcoholics Anonymous. Somebody like myself who put my mother through chaos, trust me, I have a key to her house. Like, that's crazy. You know, and... um. Even last night, you know, I went to a Panther game. It was great. You know, you saw all the drunks around you. I'm right in the middle. All you smell is alcohol and beer. And I'm thinking it's, this, it, they're hysterical. And I'm sitting there and I'm having a blast, you know. I'm having a blast. And my mom comes downstairs because she works there. And she said, you know what? We were having a conversation. You know what? I'm so proud of you. 
out of nowhere, and I love you. I love you with the bottom of my heart. That's amended relationships. That's not to say that I don't make mistakes. There's things that I need to work on today that I made very bad mistakes in the last two months. But you know what? Those amends will come when they're ready. Right now, I'm working through them. So here's what I can tell you. If you're sitting here, if you hear anything I said, if you hear like, oh man, I'm finding myself thinking that way, like maybe I got this. I have today. That's it. I have today. Because I never know if one of you will be my sponsor. I know 100% of my heart, if I go out, I'm dead. 100% I believe that. I believe that. And through of all these things, you know, I never thought about drinking. The obsession was lifted, but I was heading that way. I was heading that way. I was getting attacked by everything. You know, I lost a lot of friends in Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot. I've been to so many funerals, I can't even stomach it. I lost my best friend in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I promised myself, you know, and her, like if something was ever to happen, like I would show up. And like I'm a big part of his life today, you know. And I'm a mother today. And I'm a daughter today. And I'm a friend today. And I'm a wife today. She likes me most days. Not all. She said the other day, she said, honey, I, 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 you know what? I don't like you some days, most days, some hours, but I love you. You know, I believe that. Every single morning, I say, you know what, baby? You have a good day. I love you because you just never know. You just never know. Again, if you're sitting in this room, I'm talking. I don't even know how long I'm supposed to talk. I could talk for days. I don't know. Reality is, is if you're sitting in this room, understand this is exactly where you need to be at, what is it, 808? On a Thursday night, I'm exhausted. I have a four-month-old baby, I don't sleep. At 808 in the afternoon, that you're worth it. My God is crazy about you. He is. He absolutely is crazy about you. Thank you, I'm an alcoholic named Monica. Wow, thank you, Monica. Um, now we're going to have David with the secretary's report. Hi, my name is David, and I'm your alcohol, recovered alcoholic secretary. Um, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Uh, we also have QR codes on the back of some of the chairs if you want to contribute uh, in that way. And um, you can also do that if you're joining us on Zoom. There should be a QR code um, uh, on your screen. And I have asked Tracy to come up and read the recovered statement. Hi, I'm Tracy, and appreciate being here at these meetings. Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime. 
but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we are, we have, oops, sorry. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. 1940s big, uh, style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe in experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. Is there anyone in the room who needs a sponsor? Okay, if you're too shy to raise your hand, um, uh, you can also just come to the front of the room, stand by the piano uh, at the end of the meeting and um, someone will come talk to you. Can I have a, a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay, in this meeting, we like to suggest that anyone whose hand isn't raised hang out with uh, those whose hands are. Uh, Broward County Intergroup. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't see it. Uh, new Hours uh, from Broward, Broward County Intergroup. Intergroup is where... Um, we, oh, sorry. I didn't see that. Okay. It's where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize meetings at the 12-step house, um, and they meet on the second Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. Uh, do we have anybody from BCIC here? Okay, so you can talk to Brian if you're interested in, in uh, joining them. Um, and volunteer opportunities. Uh, General Service District 9 needs your help to prepare the Founders Day Picnic. So the next two planning meetings will be held uh, on May 11th at 7 and May 25th at 7. Um, <clears throat> and for a limited time only, you can subscribe to the, uh, the Grapevine magazine for a year and get uh, a free book from the AA Grapevine. Okay, um, I've never even heard of this before. <laughs> October 27th to 29th uh, is the second annual Bull in the China Shop Corral. Uh, it's a men's 12-step surrender gathering, uh, and it's at Camp Cloverleaf 4-H Center uh, in Lake Placid, Florida. And for, the, for next week and the week after that, we have uh, Bobby coming back. Uh, doing steps uh, 11 and 12, so you can join us for that. Also, uh, we have 
my other home group, our Monday night big book study group, uh, where the big book comes alive. Fellowship starts at 6.30. Big book, start, uh, big, books, big book study starts at 7.15, and it's held on the third floor. Um, it's a great meeting, and we're still toward the beginning of the book, so uh, it's a great time to join us. Thanks a lot. Thank you, David. Um, we have tonight's session and all our past speakers' podcasts online for free at Alcoholics and God. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those to whom wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. I want to thank Monica again. Thank you. And let's close the Lord's Prayer. Who woke us up this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us out into the vision, and deliver us from evil. Thy kingdom, the power, and the glory.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
slugging my guitar And I play my songs And people sing along And stomp their feet and raise their arms song is god bless i love you mike chase bye
Thank you.